Good morning. Excellent. Six years ago, Abby and I um, joined the adventure to Seaford. We, uh, we were part of King's Church Eastbourne. Uh, we were fairly heavily involved. Uh, we loved the church, exciting church to be a part of. Um, we were involved in the worship life of King's Church Eastbourne and uh, led a life group. Uh, met at our place. And we're generally enjoying life in Eastbourne. But there was an underlying feeling of a discontentment might be too strong a word, but uh, there was something we wanted more. Um, and so we were, King's Church Centro, which is the, the, the church that opened up in the town centre of Eastbourne uh, about six years ago, five years ago, was was in preparation stages. And so Abby and I thought, let's, we live in the town centre, uh, let's check it out. But we had a number of things that were changing. Abby, we lived in a two-bedroom flat at the very top of a large apartment block, and Abby, ha- we had one children, and Abby was pregnant with our second. There were no lifts, and we were at the top of a lot of stairs. And change felt... You ever had that feeling where you have restless feet? You just feel like itchy feet. Something's, something's got to give. Something's got to change. I, I f- I, at work, I was feeling a bit discontented, certainly. And I just remember thinking, there's got to be more. Anyway, so that was the beginning, I guess, of us, this adventure. And, and we start one Sunday, Graham came up to us whilst we were meeting in Hamden Park and said to Abby and I, I wondered if you'd consider moving over to Seaford to be part of King's Church Seaford. Uh, with Jez and Amy, uh, help lead in the worship life of the church and be involved in the leadership. Uh, and we thought, okay, let's, well, let's go and check it out. So at the time, the church was meeting at 4 p.m. on a Sunday. So Abby and I went along to that Sunday's 4 p.m. service, having just spoken with Graham. And on the way home, we came on our way back to Eastbourne feeling very excited. Sort of, this, this is potentially exciting. Never, we'd never given EC for the second thought before. But all of a sudden, this had caught our imagination. We drove home to Eastbourne excited. Over the next week, we started looking into house prices and rent prices in Seaford and very quickly discovered Seaford's a really expensive place to live. Um, so, oh, that, that's puts a, a scratch under that. We can't really afford to. Uh, but then, as we prayed about it and considered it, within that week, someone came up to us and said, look, we, uh, we own a property in Seaford. Uh, we're, we're looking for some tenants. I wonder if you'd come and view it. So I went, well, okay, yeah, fantastic, let's go and have a look. So we drove over to Seaford to have a look at this property, and it was perfect. It had a garage, it had a front and back garden, um, it had three bedrooms, it had a field out the back of it which led out onto the downs, and we just thought, wow, uh, this, this is amazing. Uh, what do you want for this? And, and he said what he wanted, which was half of what this place is worth. And we were like, goodness me, that's incredible. But it was still out of our price range. It was still more than we were paying in Eastbourne. Uh, and again, so this is all this within the space of a month, but we, uh, we went away and thought about it and prayed about it. And within that week, something in my income changed and the difference was met. Um, so we went from paying X amount uh, in Eastbourne to paying Y amount in Seaford, but actually we weren't paying, the difference had been met by my income, which was an amazing situation to be in. So we moved within the month, and within a month we'd gone from never even considering Seaford as an option, just feeling restless, to living in Seaford. It was a very exciting and uh, daring, I guess, part of it. It felt exciting. And I, 
I remember that, that feeling of discontentment, or that feeling, I certainly felt discontented at work, and that, and that feeling in church of, oh, I want something else, I want something more. And I wonder if you can relate to that feeling. I wonder if you, you've had that feeling, you've experienced that feeling when you turn up to church. I, I need something, there's got to be more than this. I just, I'm not feeling particularly fulfilled. Well, Christianity was never meant to be service attending and civilized living. That's not what, it's not what we read when we read through the book of Acts. It's not what we read about when we read through the Paul's letters to the churches around the Mediterranean. See, Christianity, when Jesus talks about Christianity, when Jesus talks about being a follower of him, we hear phrases like being salt and light, being those that preserve culture or influence, infiltrate, that add flavor to culture and preserve culture. He talks about, Paul talks about, the Apostle Paul talks about being ambassadors for Christ. Uh, Jesus talks about if we want to follow him, then we must carry our cross. And, and Paul talks about sharing in Christ's afflictions. Uh, we're told to be in the world, but not of the world. We're told to heal and pray for the sick. We're told to fight for injustice, fight for the oppressed, to care for the poor. In fact, Jesus used, or there are such strong words used in the New Testament, how we care for the poor, that if you don't care for the poor as a community, then are you genuinely a follower of Jesus? And I hear those, I hear those statements, and that's challenging, frankly. Uh, maybe that's hard to hear. Perhaps you hear those statements and it awakens within you. Certainly, awake, as I read that this week or looked into th- this week, it awakens a sense of frustration in me. I think, I want that. Let's, I, I do. I really want that. I want to dare again. I want the adventure again. Over the last five weeks, we've been looking at Hebrews 11. We've been looking at what faith looks like, the hallmarks of faith. We've seen that Faith sees, that faith, uh, that faith gives way to action, that faith isn't just sterile belief, but actually it influences the way we live out. We've seen the role and the nature of faith, what faith looks like, what it does is it helps give resolve and conviction and purpose. Last week we heard Moshtaba's story, I don't know if you were around last week to hear, just what an exhilarating and inspiring journey of faith that man has. What a commitment to his, uh, to his God that he should go on to be in prison, prepare to be imprisoned for Jesus. I, as a guy, I, want, I don't know if this is a male-female thing, but as a man, I certainly feel a strange attraction to adventure and daring exploits. And... Um, I'm rather like a moth to a flame. If I see something that looks dangerous or challenging, I'm, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. I think perhaps that's part of being human. We're going to jump into this week's reading. I want us to see the adventure of faith, as you may have already guessed. Faith dares to believe. Faith dares to see God in the most unlikely of circumstances. The characters that we've looked through, in fact, this whole passage, Hebrews 11, 1 to 39, it's just example after example of daring faith. Well, we're going to read from uh, 29 through to 35 and see some of the examples of faith that arise in this chapter. I believe it will come up on the screen behind me. Excellent, that's great news. I didn't even do that. That's good. All right, so reading from verse 29, by faith, The people crossed 
the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Is it the same translation? Yeah, we'll go with that. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by a resurrection. We're going to stop there, actually. We'll stop there. You read that through that passage. That's, that's an exhilarating, faith-inspiring passage. That's a passage of people who are really trusting God. In the first three examples, Moses, Joshua, and Rahab, three exhilarating examples of what daring faith can look like and achieve. And in those last four verses, where it says they conquered kingdoms, they escaped the edge of the sword, they, in, they enforced justice, a long list of things that are accomplished by faith. But it's not just it's not just service attending faith. It's adventurous, daring faith. Now in this church we want to create a culture of adventure. I don't remember I don't know if you remember over the last term we've um, we were doing the culture series in the welcome or the no, sorry, the, the, the break in between the worship time and the sermon, we would spin the culture wheel. We had this big uh, board with the list of the six cultures that we as a church want to embody. And each week we'd spin the w- dial and it would land on one of these cultures and we'd share some stories and talk a little bit into that culture. We had I don't know if you can remember the cultures generosity. I want to be a church that's known for its generosity. I want to be a church that's encouraging, that we build one another up. We want to be a church that is thankful, because thankfulness flies in the face of what I expect, what I, what I want, what, I, what my needs. Thankfulness, to know, to be grateful for everything that we have. We want to be a church that's real, honest with one another. We want to be a church that is adventurous. We want to be a church that welcomes the outsider, that welcomes one another. That when people set in foot into our building or into our church or into our homes, when people come into contact with us, they feel welcomed, they feel valued, they feel accepted. Well, this morning we're looking at adventure. We want to be a church that is marked by its culture of adventure. Now, whilst I was researching for this sermon, I discovered an article uh, on, on tinybuddha.com, which don't read too much into that. Um, but on tinybuddha.com, they had 10, ten rules for a f- fulfilled life. Do you know what number two was? Number two was try something new every day that pushes you out of your comfort zone for a healthy and fulfilled life. Try something that you would dare to do, dare to dream, dare to believe, dare to do something. Because actually it's fulfilling for us, it's encouraging. See, our brains, we are hardwired as humans to grow through exploring newness. We, we, we grow by learning from our experiences. We grow as we push ourselves out of our comfort zones. 
we are literally built to grow through risky exploration. That's interesting. I, I can relate to that. I wonder if you can. I, I know that I, I'm a person that doesn't learn so much. I'm not really a studious person. I, 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 am, I am much more wired to learn by doing uh, and experiencing. That's just the way I am. Um, and, and I certainly, I can relate to that. I, I am hardwired to learn through experience, to grow through getting things wrong. I, I'm sure every one of us in this room could say, oh, I've, I remember when I got this wrong, I never did it again. If you touch a hob and it's hot, you don't do it again. Our brains are hardwired to grow through risky exploration. I read an article this week as I was preparing for this sermon that was, uh, that was suggesting that in universities in America, uh, a lot of the teaching and a lot of the exploration is becoming less adventurous, less daring. The, the 200 years ago, people were much more open to study this or explore that or try something here and try something. And these days, it's much more tighter knit, mainly because of risks of this or risks of that. But because of these risks or these imposed risks or believed risks, we limit this sense of adventure. And uh, I read an article this week that talked about that happening in our parenting. I was like, oh, this is interesting because I'm a parent. Um, they were saying that children are not as adventurous as they used to be. Um, maybe you uh, can see that. Maybe you're old enough to be able to see. Well, in fact, even in myself, as I look back over my youth, I remember doing things that you can't really do. I remember going to France and watching motocross. Um, this was an amazing experience. There were no, in this country, if you go to motocross, you can't st stand near the track. You, there's tape everywhere. And you have to stand right back because you're not allowed. In France, they have a very different sort of uh, approach to health and safety, which is you are responsible for your own actions. So I think that's perfectly reasonable. I understand that. Um, and, and so anyway, we went to this motocross event, and we stood, me and my, my brothers and I, and maybe this, maybe this says more about my parents than anything else, <laughs> my, my brother and I, we stood in the middle of this motocross track with the motorbikes flying up either side of us. It's an incredible experience. If we'd put our arms out, we'd have lost them. But these bikes were flying up either side. We were, it was amazing. But there's enough brake in between the bikes that you could step out and watch from the side or move position. But we just, the thrill of it was incredible. I probably wouldn't encourage my sons to do that. <laughs> but it's worth thinking. They say that we, you know, in our society, everything has to be vetted or approved. With the, the rise of the nanny state, you've all heard that phrase, I'm sure, which is reference to s states' desire to keep us safe, desire to keep this worried about we're going to get sued for this or exploited for that or told off for this because, because we didn't look after your children. Well, in my eyes, the role of the parent has a fair, you know, there's a pretty serious role when it comes to looking after your children. Um, there are the, the trusted figures. A lot of this has come from uh, a reason, reasonable, uh, for good reason. Um, trusted figures who have let down children. You've seen the news over the last couple of years. People who've held high positions or responsible, uh, responsible positions around young people and they've misused them. Well, that's one of the reasons we're so careful in safeguarding our children. That's a good thing. But it is worth noting that this culture of adventure is 
becoming less so. Technology means that kids aren't going outside as much as they used to. They're not exploring as they used to. My brothers and I used to spend hours in the woods. We used to go at, we used to go at 7 p.m. at night, and we'd camouflage up in our n- in and face paint, and we'd take torches with a little red film over it so it didn't emit much light, and we'd sneak around and fight imaginary enemies. Uh, and we explored and learned so much. We used to play with fire and things like that, and BB guns and shoot one another. Are we in danger of being overprotective? It's worth considering. Because overprotectiveness can limit adventure. I believe there are other things that limit adventure as well. Fear. Fear. Failure. This morning we're going to see fear, failure, and what we ultimately want, which is freedom. In the passage that we read, 11, 29 to 35, we saw in the first three verses we heard of three characters, Moses, Joseph, uh, sorry, Joshua, uh, Moses, Joshua, and Rahab. Well, I want to show us how they conquered fear and how they faced the fears that they faced. In, uh, now, the characters that we read through in the passage Hebrews 11, they can be found in your Old Testament part of the Bible in Exodus and Joshua, which is where a lot of this is going to come from this morning. But in Exodus 14, Moses is told to part the Red Sea by God. Uh, a terrifying moment. The Israelites have escaped Egypt, but they are being followed. They are being chased by a big Egyptian army with chariots, and swords, and spears. And they are running away and they hit the Red Sea. And Moses is told by God, he says, I want you to encamp Israel facing the enemy. Like, okay, he does that. He says, I want you to stand facing the sea and I want you to hold out your staff over the sea and tell it to be open. The Egyptian army is advancing fast. His people, the Israelites, are saying to him in Exodus 14, uh, did you bring us out here to die because there aren't enough graves in Egypt? His own people are doubting him. You can imagine the level of the fear. There's there's we drown or there's an onslaught army, oncoming army, and we face onslaught. And God says to him, no, I'm going to make a way part of the sea. The faith that that takes for, uh, for Moses to believe that. In that circumstance, he doesn't have too many other options. But you can imagine the fear that he's experiencing. And so he does. He stands out over the sea, faces the sea, holds his staff up, and the waters part. And the Israelites, as we saw in Hebrews 11 and in Exodus 14, they pass safely through, whilst the Egyptians, as they attempt to do the same, are swallowed up by the waters. Moses faces fear of the unknown. He faces the fear of failing his people. I imagine he faces the fear, did I really hear God? I don't know if God speaks audibly to him, but goodness me, I know from my own experience, I can have the most obvious warnings or being told by God in the most obvious ways, and I still doubt it. Did I genuinely hear God? Fear of the oncoming army. Fear of failing God. What What if this doesn't work, God? Fear of failing the people. 
But Moses overcomes, they pass safely through, and he's held up as an example of one who conquered fear, who took a step of faith. In Joshua, in the first couple of chapters, or in Joshua 6, Joshua is told to surround Jericho. Jericho is a walled city, and he's told to march his army around the city once a day for six days. March your army around the city. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the, ar- the, around the city seven times. And at the end of it, I want you to shout for the Lord and for Joshua. And what's going to happen is the walls are going to come down. I don't think that style of warfare has been waged since, which is interesting. <laughs> but it works, doesn't it? I don't think Joshua went, yeah, that's I saw that done back in, uh, yeah, uh, oh, I, I remember Moses did that back in the desert. Yeah, that works for sure. There's none of that. No past experiences to draw from. Joshua has just inherited this people group. He's taken over from Moses. He's been told to go and take this promised land, this land given to him, this land given to his people. Told it's yours. You've got to take out and take out that city there, and I want you to claim that and own that. This is your land now. Imagine the fear again: fear of failing his people, fear of failing God fear of that's a ludicrous way of taking a city lord what are you talking about marching around and then the walls are going to fall down when's that ever happened but joshua takes courage rahab's example in the third verse of the passage we just read in hebrews 11 rahab's example is perhaps smaller it might seem He's not taken 20, she's not taken 20,000 people and marched around a city. She's not brought 40-odd thousand people through a sea. She, she however, she takes a dangerous step because we read in Joshua chapter 2 that what she does is when Joshua and his men are looking to take the city of Jericho, she hides the spies. So two Israelite spies, they come in and camp, uh, and and, and she, she sees these spies and she hides them because the, the people of Jericho know they're about and the king of Jericho knows they're about. And he sends out a search party. He says, there's two spies, where are they? He asks, she asks, they, the king asks Rahab, have you seen these two spies? No, she lies, she's hiding them. But her faith helps her to conquer the fear of what will happen to her if she's caught. She'll face execution for sure. But she says this, in Joshua 2, she says, she says to J- uh, Joshua, she says, Our hearts melted for the Lord your God. He is the God in the heavens above the earth and beneath. She's seen something of Israel's God. She's not an Israelite, but she's seen something. She's heard the stories She's heard about the, the seas parting before this God of theirs. She's heard about the defeats, and she knows that destruction is coming upon this city, and she would rather hide these spies than be on the wrong side of this God. And she says, please spare me and my family, and they do. Joshua says, of course, we will spare you and your family, for you have looked after us and cared for us. Now, my experience is more, in my experience, I have fear of man than fear of God. In all three examples, they feared God. They were men and women who feared God, feared failing God. 
didn't want to fail God. And that fear of failing God was greater than the fear of failing their people group. It was greater than the fear of the enemy. My experience is that I am often more concerned about people's re- or my reputation and what people think of me. I'm sure you can relate to that. I'm not the only one, I hope. I just preached to myself. I, uh, I remember Jez and I, one, uh, about te- 11 years ago, Jez and I uh, convinced that we wanted to overcome the fear of man in our lives. We went to a karaoke bar in... Um, I don't know if Jez has ever thought of this story since. But we went to a karaoke bar in one of the rougher areas of Eastbourne. And uh, it, was a, it, was a, I said karaoke, it was a pub. We went to a pub that did karaoke on a Wednesday in one of the rougher areas of Eastbourne, rougher estates. And, uh, and we said, right, come on, we're going to do this. So in front of these pub people, we went and took a microphone and we did karaoke. It was excruciatingly painful. And I can't say it's made a lasting effect in conquering the fear of man. We need to overcome this fear of man. Fear of failure. In the passage we read this morning, these men and women feared most failing God. My biggest concern is failing myself. Pride has a huge influence on that. My pride, how how I want to be perceived by people. My pride hates failure, hates looking silly, hates hates it. Oh, it makes me cringe. I, I look back over my history, 30 odd years, and there are parts where I just go, oh, it hurts. I can't believe I did that. Golly, don't ever talk about that in public. I see it in my children, funny enough. This is, uh, this is interesting. I, I, um, I didn't realize I had a problem with pride until I was in my late teens, but it turns out I've had a problem with pride since I was that big. My, I see my sons and uh, and Sam bless him. If he falls over in public, oh, he doesn't like that. He comes running to mummy or daddy and hides his face. Don't let anybody see me. Levi, if he falls over in public, he does the, the cursory look around. Did anyone notice? Uh, the other th- another, um, Levi has been given a, um, the class mascot to take home this weekend. Um, Sammy the sea otter. So we've got Sammy the sea otter for the weekend. And basically, we take him around to whatever we do this weekend, football training, uh, anything else, church. And I said to him, why don't we take him to church on Sunday? We can take photos of him being at church. Oh, no. No, I don't want to do that, Dad. I thought, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. I can relate to not wanting friends to know I'm religious. I can relate to that. I want to tell you a story because uh, I want us to be of a church that celebrates courage, not success. The two are different. You can take courage and fail. But the important thing is to take courage. Um, I share a friend, a friend of ours in this church. I've shared this story already uh, this month. Uh, and in fact, he's shared this story, Ross. Um, might as well tell you the name. Um, he was at work chatting to a colleague about God. Now, this is an inspiring story, which is why I want to say, actually, this, this story hasn't yet found its resolve. We haven't found out whether it succeeded or not. But Ross's friend says to him one Sunday, um, 
you can pray for me. Uh, or God's been talking, to, uh, sorry, Ross has been talking to her about God at work. And, sh- and she eventually says to him, okay, well, you can pray for me because I want to get pregnant. I want a baby girl. Uh, and if I get pregnant, I'll give it some more consideration. Okay, fine. A couple of weeks later, Ross says to her, uh, are you pregnant? She says, no. And she said, well, it's, it's going to happen. It will happen. Well, that's confidence, right? Uh, a few weeks after that, she sa- he says, that I worked with her at a wedding and, and I said to her, I went up to her, he says, Ross says, I went up to her and I said to her in complete confidence, I believe God says, prepare to be a mother. That's a massive risk. That's a massive risk. I haven't done anything like that. That's not to say I won't. Three weeks after that, they're working together and she's beaming, ear to ear smile. And he says to her, you're pregnant, aren't you? And she says, yes, I am. I says, I told you. Now that's exciting. That's a journey of faith. That's an adventurous move. That is a daring move. Now, as I said, we want to be those who celebrate courage, not success. That, that story kind of has its success in the fact that she was pregnant Ross did hear from God and had the opportunity to share from that. She's still yet to have the baby and consider Jesus. But that's a start, isn't it? That's what daring faith can do. Inspiring, even intimidating levels of faith, they start small. It doesn't start with that. You don't start by going, yeah, I'm going to go and prophesy over this person and they're going to believe it and it's going to be incredible. It doesn't start like that. For me, for me, it started on top of the downs. I'll never forget this moment um, when we were we were praying and uh, we were praying for the town of Eastbourne. And someone said to me, um, "Do you speak in tongues?" And I said, "Yeah, I didn't speak in tongues." And they said, "Right, we're gonna together." There was, there was five of us there, and the other three girls who were with me didn't speak in tongues at the time. And they said, "Right, we're gonna speak in tongues together." John and I are gonna pray out and just. Just copy us, and hopefully God will give you the gift of tongues. Okay, tongues for those of you is speaking in a, a, I guess, a spiritual language, a language, a heavenly language. And I was at this point going, "You're kidding!" Ah, no, this is where I get found out. So me and my friend were supposed to be leading this, how to speak in tongues. I just copied her within a second. God would give me the gift of tongues. That is grace, right? God could have been like, "You little, you liar." Well, we'll show you up. No, when a second God comes through. It starts with small little faith journeys, tiny little, that was ridiculous. But when we see God act and come through in the small things, it doesn't take long before we start believing him for something bigger. You might not be at prophesying over your colleague stage, but what about starting by offering to pray for them or even talking to them about Jesus and church? The way we combat fear, the way we combat fear of failure, the way we combat our pride is to remember who we are in Christ. In Hebrews 13, which is two chapters after the passage we've just read, um, the, the writer of the Hebrews is encouraging his congregation and he says, look, God says this over you. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. What he's doing is again referencing something that God said to Joshua. Over 2,000 or 4,000 years previous. He says again, in, in Joshua 1, Joshua becomes Moses' successor and God says to him, be strong and courageous because I'm with you. 
He says to him again, be strong and courageous, I'm with you. He says it three times to Joshua in the first chapter. He wants Joshua to understand, I am with you, take risks. And, he's, and, and the writer of the Hebrews takes hold of that and he says it to, uh, or says it to the, the young early Jewish church there and he speaks it over us this morning. He says, take risks, why? Because I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The way we can do that is as we learn who we are in Jesus. Because if you're a Christian this morning, then you are significant because God has called you a child of his. That's where you find your significance. That's where you find your worth. You are secure, again, because God has called you a child of his. Now, we know from passages in the Bible, and our own understanding of what we have lived out and seen is that God doesn't leave us and forsake us. We know that nothing can separate us from his love. No matter how big or small the failure, nothing can separate us from God. In Christ, if you know Jesus and love Jesus, then you are significant, secure, and you are accepted. Not accepted on a basis of what you've done, how good your exploits of faith are, how, how well you've behaved, what your history is like, what your browser history is like, what your spending history is like. No, you are accepted because Jesus has made you acceptable as he dies on the cross and takes upon himself the punishment for all our wrongdoing. You're accepted because Jesus accepts us and because God accepts Jesus. And this is the freedom that we can then walk into. See, in verses 33 to 35, we saw that through the steps of faith, through these uh, early beliefs, or the, uh, rather, sorry, these people, these models of faith, these men and women of faith, we see that they obtained promises, that they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they stopped the mouths of lions, fire and swords, they were made strong in their weakness and were mighty in war when they put foreign armies to flight. These men and women won freedom and advance for others by their actions. It starts with taking risk. It starts by taking courage. Why? Because God is with you and he's promised not to forsake you. You won't always succeed, but we will celebrate with you when you do something courageous. And we must never stop pioneering. In the book Dirty Glory, which we've been handing out for free recently, which is incredible stories, again, of recent adventures of faith, he says there was a point where there was a temptation in their journey to stop pioneering. We must never stop. Abby and I must never stop and go, well, we moved to Seaford, that was enough. We must continue to step out in faith. We must continue to do what we believe God is calling us to. If we do that, then, then I don't believe it's long before we start facing discontentment. And when you face discontentment, then you just try and fill it with other things. I feel discontented, so I'll, I'll spend more here. I'll do something else there, try and fill the void. No, we get rid of that discontentment by walking in all that God has doing and believing Him, daring in Him. My mum and dad... Uh, in 2014, received a prophetic word, uh, a word of God, a word from God brought through a friend of theirs that in three to five years, God was calling them to plant a church in the west of France. My mom and dad are British, uh, and they moved to France, and they'd been in Paris, uh, just joined a church plant that was already there, when God said to them, actually, I'm calling you to plant a church of your own in the west of France. So they, well, all right, well, that's, that's big, 
Uh, we never imagined ourselves doing anything like that. We've seen ourselves as a good second, but never a first leader. Well, they visited the west of France, didn't feel anything. Okay. And a couple of years went by, and for two more years, they were asking God, did you really speak then? Did we, was the person who brought that word wrong? Have we missed something? Did we really hear God? Uh, 2017, they were at a conference when New Ground, which is the family of churches that we're a part of, but also the church in Paris is a part of, they heard that there was something, New, New Ground wanted to do something, set up a church in the west of France, in a place called Nantes. Mum and dad was like, ah, this is interesting. We could, this could be us. They said at the end of, they said that there was that window in that first prophetic word, three to five years. They said they reached that point and God seemed to be confirming that this was where they were headed. So they went for it. Uh, in 2018, they were confident that they should move to Nantes. Why? Because they didn't want to miss the opportunity. It wasn't fear of failure. Do you know what it was? It was fear of failing God. Fear of missing out. Got, got what God's got. How do we get what God's got? We take risks. We dare. Mum and dad moved to Nantes. Uh, within, they sold their house within seven days. Very quickly they moved over to Nantes. They currently meet on a Thursday night. Why not? They can do what they want. They lead their own church. Um, they meet on a Thursday night for a time of prayer and worship. And already someone who, has n who was a Christian a long time ago and who's walked away from it all has joined them. And now they have one person joining them on a Thursday night. That's encouraging. Mom and dad, they stepped out. They didn't want to miss out on what God's got for them. We must continue to believe that God has got adventure for us. And maybe what it looks like for us is stepping out, inviting a friend to strand. Perhaps it means with the, the share a chair, that we're talking about buying new chairs for our building. Maybe it means that we start buying chairs, more than we thought perhaps. Perhaps it looks like Alpha in your home. Perhaps it looks like praying for a friend or praying for healing. I don't know what it looks like for you, but it's important that we grow together and that we applaud one another's courage and that together we will see God's kingdom come here in Seaford. That's an amazing adventure to be a part of and I am so thrilled and excited to be sharing it with you. God has called, God calls Israel to be a blessing to the surrounding nations. God calls the church to be a blessing to the surroundings. God calls us to be a blessing in this town, Seaford. And the way we take hold of that is by stepping out in faith, believing Him. Amen? Let's pray. The band are going to come up. And whilst we, um, whilst we worship, I want us to take up communion. Because the reason that we are here in the first place is that we remember that Jesus is the one that reconciled us to his Father. Jesus took upon himself our sin, our mistakes, our wrongdoing, so that we could be in relationship, so that we could walk on this adventure and be confident that he is with us. So we're going to take up communion when the band start playing. But why don't we stand together and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this adventure that you've brought us on. Thank you so much for everything that you've done in the past. Thank you for how far we've got so far and we're excited for the future. Thank you that you promised never to leave us or forsake us, but to be with us every day by the power of your Spirit. God, we look forward to this adventure. God, encourage us. Help us to be secure in who we are in you, that it would not matter when we do fail. In Jesus' name, amen.